The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I have a really fascinating episode for you today, and I think it's kind of timely as well, because as we are heading into the new year, I know that a lot of people are going to be taking inventory of their lifestyles, their routines, their habits, where they can improve things. And this episode is jam-packed with not only science, but actionable things that you can do in your life to improve your brain health, improve your sleep, improve your exercise, and also improve your approach to these things as well. So I'm talking to Louisa Nicola. She is a neurophysiologist and human performance coach. She's the founder and head performance advisor of Neuroathletics. It's a consulting firm that boasts the best athletes in the world. And by using science-driven data from EEG scans, lab tests, and cognitive assessments, Louisa has a first-class ticket inside the brain of elite NBA and MLB stars, as well as CEOs and other high profile people. So this is, like I said, really fascinating. I know that I just did another episode on brain health, but that was more about things like memory and processing. This is, like I said, heavy on the science, but it's very digestible. So don't worry. And it's more about things like sleep and exercise. And we really get into the nitty gritty. So these topics that we kind of touched on in the other episode that I did with Jim Quick, actually, we really delve into in this episode. So they complement each other really nicely. So we discuss what all of the high-performing people that Louisa works with have in common. We talk about how to optimize our own health specifically with sleep and exercise. So we talk about how to have the best sleep ever and why this is so critical. So we talk a lot about brain detoxification, but also how sleep can enhance emotional regulation and more and the why of it, which I found to be super fascinating. We talk about, of course, how things like deep sleep help prevent Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative diseases. We talk about how much sleep to get. We talk about temperature and the optimal sleep environment. And then we also delve into how to limit neural inflammation through exercise. We talk the specific breakdown of resistance versus aerobic exercise to get per week. We talk what to aim for in each training session and specifics about myokines that are released during exercise. And then finally, she talks about why we must deliberately choose happiness every day because we are primed for fear when we wake up. I found this to be really interesting. We talk about how technology is affecting our dopamine, alcohol's effects on the brain, and so much more. I know you're going to get so much out of this episode, and you're really going to get things that you can apply as you head into the new year to enhance your life and optimize your health. So please enjoy Louisa Nicola. Welcome, Louisa. Hi. So excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) We were just talking a little bit before we recorded about what it is that you do and um, something that I've been going through personally, which maybe I'll talk about in the intro of this show. Well, TBD, (laughs) but I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I've had a neurosurgeon on my show. I've had um, neurologists on my show, but I've never had a neurophysiologist. Yeah. And from listening to you in other interviews, I think it's really fascinating what you do. So can you just tell the listeners what exactly is a neurophysiologist <laughs> and what have you done with it? Because you've really carved out a niche. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm not entirely using what I do as a neurophysiologist um, in what I do today. But a neurophysiologist, it's a neurophysiology is a subspecialty of neurology. And you focus on things such as epilepsy. You, you'll see us using EEGs, EMGs, electromyography, Uh, doing nerve conduction studies Uh, for me specifically and I was trained in Australia evidently I would go into surgery as an intraoperative neurophysiologist mainly just to 
be that middleman between the surgeon and the anesthesiologist to ensure that the patient is you know still alive and functioning and just basically taking orders from neurosurgeon just to stimulate certain nerves so one area that i really took from that side from the clinical side was the use of an eeg and it was funny because normally when you hear about eegs that's that you know that cap mm-hmm. uh, electroencephalography that cap that you're putting here you've got all these leads coming out of it essentially what that's doing is it's assessing brain function And later on, when we talk about this, we'll separate brain function to brain structure, Mm -hmm. but assesses brain function. So you'll go and see a neurophysiologist, maybe if you've had a seizure or if you've got epilepsy. And I was doing a lot of, you know, brain scans and I was, you know, I know how to read raw EEG data to pick up on many different pathologies. But one thing that was really interesting to me, I'd done around a thousand brain scans on early onset Alzheimer's disease. And I remember, and this was back in like 2018, I remember thinking, imagine if we could use this EEG for normal brains, just people who haven't had seizures because everyone's brain is functioning to a certain level. So what if we could assess their brain and see areas of dysfunction? So that's when I kind of moved out of that space and and just started using an EEG in my general practice today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, we're getting into this really interesting space with health where people are doing a lot of at-home diagnostics, wearable diagnostic, you know, continuous glucose monitors. We're really analyzing our health. And I'm wondering if getting an EEG reading is kind of the next step that we're going to take because you would think, you know, it's kind of top down. Like our brain is really controlling so much of our body and and the functions and the processes. So do you think that that will be something that people will incorporate into their wellness routine moving forward? Yeah, I hope so, because I have a theory, which is, you know, you you just mentioned top down. And I just want to say that that's actually a, a really fascinating phenomenon in neuroscience. We've got top down mechanisms and then we've got bottoms up Hmm. mechanisms. And basically that means, you know, how does the certain areas of the brain relate to the body. So we've got central processes, you know, in the cerebral cortex that send messages down the spinal cord in order for you to throw a ball. You know, it always starts, it doesn't just start in the arm, it starts in the head. So I think at-home technologies to an extent are great, but nothing, nothing can replace what happens inside a hospital setting. For example, we've seen so many companies that have come and gone, come and failed because they're doing these wearable EEGs when we know that we need so many different data points. We need raw EEG data to really assess the functionality of the brain. And we can't really do that without a hospital grade EEG just yet. Mm -hmm. However, we now can go into people's homes with a portable hospital grade EEG and assess the functioning of someone's brain. Are there any commonalities that you see among people that you do EEGs on? I know that you work with a lot of athletes, so you're kind of looking at a really specific subset of people. And I'm sure that there's just so much variation from person to person. But are there any areas of the brain that you see that maybe atrophy (laughs) sooner than others? Yeah. So first thing to point out is, so at NeuroAthletics, that's my, my company, we do a very thorough process. So when we onboard anyone, whether they're an elite athlete or a non-athlete, I call everybody athletes because we're working with high performers, you know, those CEOs um, on Wall Street who are just performing at a very high level and they'll generally come to us. And I generally see people around the age of 40, which is great, right? Because we know, okay, great, your, your brain is fully formed by then. And we also know that the brain begins to atrophy at around 30 years old. So I'm going to have a lot of data points there. Generally speaking, many people are married or they've got kids. So that means that they've got a lot of either sleep deprivation happening. But I really love getting people at that age because it's a very crucial point um, Mm. in our lives. I'm seeing so many brains. I'm assessing them. I'm seeing frontal lobe dysfunction. I'm seeing parietal lobe dysfunction. Am I seeing any pathological uh, processes, you know, early onset Alzheimer's disease? Sometimes we know that we can have, we've got many data points and biomarkers that can pick up on you're going down the path of um, mild cognitive impairment, which is a pre-dementia state. What I do see is I see a lot of hyperfunctioning. Hmm. So people who are performing at a high level have 
so much happening in their brain. And unless they've got a concise system to be able to handle that, then yeah, we see a lot of hyperfunctioning individuals. We've also seen a lot of hypofunctioning where the brain is just, we call it a blue brain, where it's mm. just not switching on when it needs to be. Mm. And generally we're seeing that in, in people who are feeling more lethargic, depressed, they can't get out of bed, things like that. But I think it's also really important to point out that one single use case, like if you're just going to go in for an EEG, it's always important to marry it with everything else, like a very, very good intake form and questionnaire. Blood work is probably one of the biggest um, things that people can be doing, the most widely studied um, things that we can be testing for as well. Mm -hmm. Are there any biomarkers in particular that you look for? I'm sure that the blood work that you take is very oh, comprehensive. But yeah. what are, how do some biomarkers relate to brain health? So we've got so many. We're not just doing blood work. We're doing blood, urine, saliva, stool. And in some cases, we're doing hair as well, just to really get to the point of somebody's health, right? One thing that we have to remember is a symptom, okay? We're all walking around right now with symptoms. For example, this morning I woke up, I have a really sore throat and it's affected me. So now I feel lethargic. That is a symptom. When somebody has a headache, that is a symptom, and we often overlook these symptoms. And a symptom is the only way for the body to actually speak to you. Mm. So these symptoms shouldn't be happening. If you are, quote unquote, healthy, let's per se, if you think that you're healthy, that means you are walking around completely symptom-free. What we should be feeling when we wake up is we should be feeling energized, excited, motivated. We should have a high libido. We should be happy. We should be walking around like this. And if we're not, then we have symptoms. Mm -hmm. And the only way to get to the root cause of any symptom is by performing every single one of these tests. We can't just do blood work. We have to marry blood work to urine, to saliva, to, in my case, uh, an EEG, everything else. So some of the things that we look at is just, a, you know, generally we're looking at everything. We're doing vitamins. We're doing complete uh, lipid panel. We want to look at all your lipids. We want to do brain chemistry panels. We want to do everything. We want to assess, assess serotonin, sleep function, huge and extremely underrated. If everyone could go out and get a sleep study, that's what I think is going to be the next frontier. Actually. Really? Yeah. What can a sleep study tell us apart from, you know, what we can kind of glean from like an aura ring or a whoop or these wearable devices that can show us like yeah. how much we're moving in our deep sleep REM and light sleep? Yeah, I think, right? <laughs> We've got, yeah, we've essentially got four stages of okay. sleep. And, and the ones that really matter, the ones that we look at is deep, slow wave sleep. Mm -hmm. And we also look at REM sleep. Mm -hmm. And both serve different functions, which we'll go into. But a sleep study generally, when you go into it, you are doing way more than just tracking your deep and REM sleep. You're, you're tracking oxygen, you're tracking heart rate, you're tracking everything. You wear an, an EKG during it. We're, we're putting, you know, these leads on your eyes to, to pick up on eye flutter. We're picking up on absolutely everything. Mm. But what I think is really interesting is if you really want to get detailed when it comes to a sleep study, it's also incorporating the oxygenation of the mm. room. It's picking up on particles. You're picking up on more than just sleep. You're even, you know, assessing the temperature of the room, the temperature of the bed, your core body temperature is another thing that you pick up on in a sleep study. Mm -hmm. I generally say that if you're wearing a, an aura ring or a whoop strap, it's not the most reliable data point that you can get. What I do tell all my clients is this is more important for trends because it's going to learn your body. It's got an accurate time of, you know, what time it is during the day, what time you go to sleep. So that's good for, you know, picking up on trends and data, mm -hmm. but it's not complete. It's not going to diagnose sleep apnea, mm -hmm. in my opinion. When it comes to nutrition, I not only care about the food that I am putting in my body, but I also care a lot about the food that we feed our dog. And we have experimented with different foods and Harvey can be a little bit of a 
picky eater. He got to a place with his last food where we had to kind of coerce him to eat, which was not an enjoyable experience for anybody involved. So we switched to Sundays and he cannot wait for mealtime. He comes and finds one of us and basically starts harassing us to feed him. So Sundays is air-dried dog food made from a short list of human-grade ingredients. It was co-founded by Dr. Tori, a practicing veterinarian, and it contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic nutrients. And besides USDA beef and all natural chicken, you will find digestive aids like pumpkin and ginger plus disease fighting antioxidants. So your dog can be a wellness doggy just like you. Dog parents report noticeable health improvements in their dogs, including softer fur, fresher breath, better poops, and more energy. And like I said, Harvey cannot eat his food fast enough. He gets so excited. He's so happy, which is of course, heartwarming for us. And he also looks amazing. His fur is so shiny and thick. We've gotten so many compliments. So I definitely attribute that to his diet. Unlike other fresh dog food sundaes is zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. It's shelf stable, which makes it easy to feed your dog top quality food. And every order ships right to your door. So you never have to worry about running out of dog food again. And we worked out a special deal for my dog loving listeners. Get 35% off your first order of Sundays if you go to sundaysfordogs.com slash blonde or use the code blonde at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash blonde. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, star of The Real Housewives of Dubai, entrepreneur, wife, and mother of three, once divorced and now remarried to a much younger man, uncut and uncensored with Caroline Stanbury follows me as I live my life unapologetically and shows you that there is life after 40. I discuss everything from relationships, health, wellness, business, parenting, friendships. I'm here to let you know that not only is there a life after divorce, but you have the power to make it your best one yet, just like I did. Listen to all new episodes every Wednesday, anywhere you get your podcasts. Holiday schedules can be really crazy between the travel, the events, the parties, the gatherings. It can be really easy to fall off of our wellness routines. But thankfully, with Aloe Moves, you can still enjoy the holidays and fit in time for self-care and wellness. Also, if you are looking to implement better wellness habits in the new year, Look no further than Aloe Moves. Seriously, they have everything you could possibly need. It's basically your one-stop shop for all things wellness. So not only do they have fitness classes for every level, they have things like yoga, bar, Pilates, cardio, and HIIT. They also have relaxing guided meditations. They have sound baths. They have breath work. And there's so much more to Aloe Moves than just fitness. They also have gua sha dry brushing. This is where I learned how to dry brush. They have face yoga and nutrition classes. So it's a total game changer. And you always have fresh content that will keep you motivated because they add over a hundred new classes every month. So I love Aloe Moves because I love the class flexibility. I love how it's more than just fitness. It's really overall wellness. And like I said, I've learned things on Aloe Moves that I did not know how to do previously. Like dry brushing. I'm finally getting into gua sha and getting consistent because they have such great instructional videos. And Aloe Moves, of course, is Harley approved, my trainer, Harley. (laughs) So when I am not working out with him, I can do these classes at home. So take care this holiday season with an Aloe Moves wellness routine that fits your schedule. Get a 30-day Aloe Moves subscription and 20% off an annual membership by going to alomoves.com and use the code BLONDE20. This is a great gift to give yourself for the new year. So again, that's alomoves.com. The code is BLONDE20, A-L-O moves.com, code BLONDE20 in all caps. So alomoves.com, code BLONDE20 in all caps. I've heard you say that you're prepping for sleep as soon as you wake up. Yeah. So take us through some of the things that we can do to improve our sleep. And then can you tell us just 
exactly why it's so important for our brain health to get not only adequate sleep, but quality sleep. Yeah, well, they're the two most important factors, mm-hmm. quality and quantity. So let's just go through the the average sleep cycle. We go to sleep, okay? We're, we're starting to fall asleep. That's called stage one. It's very, you know, we can be woken up at any time. Then we're going to stage two. We're still in light sleep, right? Then we veer into stage three, which is deep sleep. These first three stages are known as non-rapid eye movement sleep. So these are non-REM sleep stages. This deep sleep stage is arguably the most important for your brain, specifically for two reasons. One thing that happens during deep sleep is we get a release of many hormones. We've got testosterone release happening. We've got estrogen release happening. We've got growth hormone release happening. And growth hormone is that hormone that stimulates protein synthesis. So it's responsible for the regeneration of your muscles. So if you're going to the gym and you're not sleeping, you're just not going to get the quote-unquote gains. Mm. Something else really interesting happens during this stage. And right now I'm publishing a lot of research, okay? And I'm about to publish a systematic review on the beneficial effects of resistance training on brain health and Alzheimer's disease. It's just so fascinating around resistance training and sleep. And it's generally because of this factor. During deep sleep, our brains have the ability to clean themselves. And we've heard of, I'm sure a lot of people listening has heard of the glymphatic system. And that's the brain's ability to act as a washing machine, if you will. So during the day, we build up toxins from the environment, from negative stresses, from the food that we eat, just normal pathological processes. As we age, we build up these toxins. It's normal and it's natural. What's also natural is to go to sleep, get into deep sleep, and completely wash away those toxins. Because when we're in deep sleep, certain cells, immunological cells in our brain, shrink. And when they shrink, they allow for the fluid in our brain, also known as cerebral cerebral spinal fluid, to go through and wash out the brain. And when it's washing out this brain, the brain, it's clearing these toxins. Almost 70 to 85% of the toxins built up during the day can be washed out during deep sleep due to the glymphatic system. We know that the glymphatic system is really only activated during deep sleep. Hmm. Two of the toxins that are washed out is amyloid beta Mm -hmm. and tau proteins, the two hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease. Hmm. So then you could think, okay, let's reverse engineer it. Let's reverse engineer the process. Alzheimer's disease patient, what is that characterized? It's many things, but one of the things is buildup of amyloid beta, which turns into plaques, tangles, and tau proteins. So how do we stop that process from happening? Apart from having the genes responsible for, you know, these disease states. Which is only about 3%, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very correct. Mm -hmm. And that's a very controversial number. Mm. However, it is around, uh, I would say right now, and this is playing safe, 90% of all Alzheimer's disease patients are due to lifestyle interventions, Mm. okay, or lifestyle, Mm -hmm. um, lifestyles. Mm -hmm. So yes, if we reverse engineer it, then how do we get ourselves to stop accumulating these tau proteins and these amyloid proteins. One of the best ways is to get into deep sleep and having that deep restorative sleep. So that's why sleep there is so, so important for the brain. And then we move into stage four, which is rapid eye movement sleep, which in a sleep study, as what a neurophysiologist may do, what happens is your brain actually mimics an awake patient. So your brain is just going 24-7, but you're completely paralyzed. But your eyes, you know how I said you got two leads that, you know, uh, clip to your eyes? Mm-hmm. You see these horizontal eye movements, which is why we call it REM, mm-hmm. rapid eye movement sleep. Mm-hmm. During that stage, we have, you know, memory formation, consolidation. That's where a lot of vivid dreams are happening. So that's also extremely important for the brain as well. It's also emotional first aid regulation of emotions is going to take place during that stage too. Hmm. So sleep, 
the most underrated high performance tool that we have. Mm-hmm. Sadly, you know, I put this on my um, social media the other day. I said that for thousands of years, humans have been going to sleep without the use of supplementation mm-hmm. and, and different sleep aids. But now in 2023, we're all, we're, you know, what sleep stack should I take? Should I sleep on my high-performance cooling mattress? Should I wear this? <laughs> and then I, I can't go to sleep without my nighttime routine. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you that the highest-performing people in the world aren't the highest-performing people because they have a specific sleep stack or because they have a specific routine that they do. Hmm. They've just figured out what's the root cause of their problem that's not helping them sleep. Let's mm-hmm. get about fixing that and then let's just go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure this also varies from person to person, but in general, how much sleep should somebody be aiming for? Because I know for myself, like seven to eight hours, seven to eight and a half hours, seven is the very low end, eight and a half, anything beyond that, I'm too groggy the next day. Like, so that's kind of my sweet spot. I need that sleep. Yeah. But I have friends who are doctors, even my dad, who have been conditioned, you know, through years, probably yourself too, Mm. years of training and residency and being on call and doing night shifts where they can get five hours of sleep and they're fine and very functional the next day. See, that's, they're fine, right? And very functional, but for how Mm. long? Because we know that Alzheimer's disease mm-hmm. actually starts 20 years prior to the first symptom, mm. right? Not saying wow. that people who are sleeping less are going to end up, but we, we now have like clinical data mm-hmm. in humans, human randomized control trials that show the detriments of sleep deprivation. Mm. Sleep deprivation is classified as six hours or less. Wow. Right? So just because you feel great, mm-hmm. you could be running on, you know, increased cortisol spikes, giving you energy. How much should you sleep? It varies from person to person and it's dependent on workload. So if you go out and you've probably experienced this, maybe you go out and just say you you work 12 hours a day and you are completely, you know, your head hurts and you just are drained, you're probably going to need a bit more sleep than if mm-hmm. you just had an easy or light day the next day. Mm-hmm. Likewise, with I've got a, a lot of athletes who are training. Some days they're training six hours. Mm. So they're going to need a lot more sleep than the regular person. So everybody's different. Mm-hmm. But my general rule at neuroathletics is, first of all, it's lights out at 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. I want everybody asleep by 10 and maybe waking up at six. I get a gold star already. You got a gold star, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I want everyone sleeping at minimum seven and a half hours. Okay. Minimum. Huh. Yeah. Generally, I mean, my sweet spot is seven hours and about 45 to 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. Very precise. It's so precise. <laughs> By the way, I am one of those, you know, just because of what I do, um, I'm currently wearing an aura ring. I, I sleep on a temperature controlled mattress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do track a lot of my sleep data. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is there an optimal temperature? You know, you hear so many different kind of conflicting things like take a hot shower and then get in a cold room at 65 degrees or don't take the shower, do the yeah. cold shower and get in. Is there an optimal temperature setting everything that we should be kind of striving for when it comes to our sleep? Yes. Instead of focusing on what's the temperature that everyone else is getting, you should focus on getting your core body temperature to drop by two degrees. And do you know why we wake up in the morning? Well, I can take a guess. Yes. Our cortisol starts to rise. (laughs) Correct. Our cortisol starts to rise. Well, our cortisol rises because our core body temperature starts Uh, to rise. mm -hmm. So if your core body temperature is rising through the night, it'll spike cortisol, which will wake you up. Mm. So cortisol, which is actually funny because it's, um, we can see fluctuations as we sleep, you know, spikes in cortisol through the night is going to wake us up as well. So that's the reason why we want to maintain sleep temperature or core body temperature while we sleep. So there are people who are just hot sleepers. Have you ever slept next to somebody who's really hot, like a hot sleeper? I am. Oh, you're a hot sleeper. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like someone, you know, like radiant, like a rock, a hot rock or something. <laughs> as long as you get your core body temperature to drop two degrees, it's mm-hmm. going to help you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Mm-hmm. And if you're really fancy and you're sleeping on one of these temperature controlled mattresses, you can actually time it. 
throughout the night and mm. be really bougie like that. Amazing. I need to get one of those. What do you have, like an eight sleep? Yeah, I have an eight <laughs> sleep. And basically it comes with an app and you can say pretty much, hey, eight sleep, when I'm in REM sleep, drop it down one degree. But when I'm in deep sleep, drop it down two degrees. And then my alarm is set for, let's say, 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. So at around 5.30, it starts to rise the, the heat of the bed. So mm. it wakes me up. Amazing. I need to get on that. Is there a certain amount of time that somebody should aim to be in deep sleep since that is kind of the cleansing process? Yeah. Um, I remember I kind of wear my aura ring off and on because I get a little obsessive (laughs) about it. That was my issue. So I was fine with light sleep. I was fine with REM. My deep sleep was always a little bit on the lower end. Yeah. So what is the optimal range for that? So- I say two to three ratio. So you want to be sleeping 20% of total. I always say 20% of total sleep time should be spent in REM sleep. Okay. Okay. I've got a a personal story as well. And then I say around 30% of total sleep time should be in deep sleep. Right. I was struggling myself. I was getting constant. This was, I would say for about a year, I just did not know why my, my deep sleep was great, but why my REM sleep was around 12% each day. It was driving me insane. No matter what I use, what tool, it was always okay. And this was for a good like eight months. I then did my, I do my blood test every six months, right? Because that's how you have to see if what you're doing is working and you're being optimized from your protocols. Mm -hmm. It showed that I actually had a low DHEA, right? And that's just a a precursor hormone for estrogen, testosterone. Mm -hmm. I had a low DHEA, which was fascinating for me. So I investigated further. But anyway, I started supplementing Mm -hmm. with DHEA. I kid you not, within two days of supplementing with DHEA, my REM sleep shot up to 27%. Wow. And then so I went and investigated. I wrote an article on it, actually. Uh I went and investigated and I saw that a very, very, in a very high stringent journal, there was a there was a study that was published that showed that DHEA is correlated with REM sleep. Interesting. And I was, I felt like writing to the publisher saying, this is true. <laughs> yeah. There's so many different things that, you know, we try and self-diagnose ourselves and yeah. it's not good. Mm-hmm. You know, where everybody's walking around saying, I didn't sleep. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's mm-hmm. because of that. But we just don't know. You don't know unless we look at the blood work first yeah. and foremost. Yeah. I think that's such an important message to hear too, because- you know, the wellness space is so saturated with so much information, as is the supplement space. And I think that so many people get caught up in the allure of some of these supplements and what they're selling. And it might be completely wrong for your body. I mean, if you didn't have the knowledge that you have, you might be looking at your data and seeing, oh, low REM, Um, I'm going to go buy this magnesium supplement, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's just not targeting the the root issue the root issue exactly and I think it's also I think it's this way right a you go and see your regular physician you present them with your symptoms and you say hey doc I'm feeling xyz I'm not getting any sleep the doctor will then go through and just get the regular blood test and they'll give them back to you and you CBC, are sick. normal. <laughs> yep. Everything is normal. Vitamin D, normal. And what they're doing is they're looking at a set of reference ranges. What do you think reference ranges are built on? I don't know. They're built on population. Oh. Okay. I was going to say men. <laughs> well, they're built on, uh, reference ranges are built on the population norm. What's the population? Mm-hmm. Fat mm-hmm. and sick. Mm-hmm. So they're basically giving you the reference range saying, okay, great. Yeah, you are you're in line with, you know, the general population. So you're fine. You're not dying right now. You don't have a disease that I can diagnose. So therefore you can exit my office. They're not looking at the most important data points of blood work, which is two things, ratio and trends. Hmm. So you may well, you may be in the reference range right now for LDL, let's just say, but you're on the high end and therefore you are trending to have cardiovascular disease or metabolic disease in the next 10 years, but you Hmm. won't ever get told that. Likewise, on the other end, in terms of supplementation, you may get a low vitamin D. You know, your doc says, you know what, you've got low vitamin D, you've got your vitamin D is, you know, 20 and it should be, you know, around 50 or 60. Just that's okay. Just go and get some vitamin D supplements, 5,000 IUs or even worse, 10,000 <laughs> IUs of vitamin D per day. 
this is the interesting part about vitamin D specifically because so many people have it, especially in New York City, because we hardly ever get the sun except for today for mm-hmm. some reason. <laughs> vitamin D deficiency doesn't occur just because, oh, you get it, you don't have enough sunlight. There's so many reasons as to why vitamin D may be low. Turns out that vitamin D is correlated with lead, right? So what happens is in the presence of lead, because vitamin D actually absorbs lead, in the presence of lead, your body says, oh no, we have lead in the system. I'm going to lower my vitamin D status because I don't want to absorb the lead. I want this person, I want this body to go and excrete the lead, whether it's through blood, sweat, urine. I want her to excrete this. So I'm going to lower my vitamin D. But what happens is you go to the doctor, you get a low vitamin D, you then go and pump yourself with this synthetic 5,000. That's like getting like a shot of the sun. Mm-hmm. Where in the, like, like, it's just ridiculous, right? And then your body can't so your excrete body, it. So then your body is like, oh no, oh no, I'm, I'm rising my vitamin D. I, I shouldn't. So therefore I'm going to just, I'm going to absorb more lead. So therefore lead goes up and vitamin D also goes up, but you haven't gone through and understood the metabolic pathway. Mm. And therefore you end up with, lead in the system. Wow. And you think that that's rare? Actually, it's it, it's not rare. Hmm. That's not the only reason why your vitamin D may be low. There's many other reasons, but that's just an example of if you are low in any biomarker, there is a reason for it, mm-hmm. but it's it's not about the person who's taking your blood because anyone can, you, you don't have to be a doctor. A phlebotomist just takes your blood. Mm-hmm. It's about the person who's interpreting it. Mm-hmm. And interpretation takes years. It is an art. So it's not just that. It's it's marrying it with understanding why it's like that. So, for example, when you, when you come on at neuroathletics, if you have, for example, if we see that you've got high cortisol, I'm not going to just say to you, you've got high cortisol, therefore you're stressed and we need to lower that. I need to marry that with a questionnaire. Why do you have high cortisol? Let's Let's investigate. Are you stressed? What are your problems? Are you not sleeping? So there's so many things that you have to understand about health that are not told anywhere, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I have recently been testing every six months as well. And it's with like a functional nutritionist. He's amazing. I've been working with him for years and he has such an incredible knowledge of how to interpret all of that. Um, and anytime I feel like I'm a little bit off and we do the blood work and we see where things are off, he knows exactly what to do and exactly how to fix. And I feel so much better, like mm. always um, compared to, you know, like I was just telling you, going through all these other channels, going to my GP, rheumatologist, um, neurologist, You've ophthalmologist, gynecologist, and they're all <laughs> taking blood work and they're all like, yeah, you're fine. Again, because of those reference ranges, I'm sure. And sometimes there are things that I would imagine just don't show up in that kind of blood work. You really have to do some digging. You have to do a lot of digging. Like, for example, one my biggest pet hate, and this is actually goes out to all the listeners, if your practitioner is telling you that you have adrenal fatigue, then mm. you need um, you need a new practitioner. <laughs> because even something like that, let's just say you've, how many people do you hear? A lot of girls, actually, women saying, I've got think I've got adrenal fatigue. Yes. It's like, let's reverse engineer that again. Mm-hmm. I'm a Charlie Munger fan. Let's reverse engineer that. Why do you think you have that? I'm chronically tired. I'm chronically fatigued. I'm chronically lethargic. They're, they're real, okay? Mm-hmm. But you've, you've self-diagnosed yourself with adrenal fatigue. But really what you can look at in a blood test is sodium potassium because that's really testing the adrenal function. It's a, a really testing... Um, aldosterone. So it really comes down to, yeah, it's a qualified practitioner who's done immense work in this Mm -hmm. field. Since we are talking so much about sleep and sleep deprivation in this episode, I want to give you guys some cold, hard facts. So 70 million Americans have chronic sleep issues and 50% of Americans deal with sleep deprivation, which, as you are learning in this episode, is anything less than six hours of sleep. And 
that is probably shocking to all of you. It was shocking to me when I think sleep deprivation, I think two, three hours, not six. I know so many people who get six regularly and there are so many detrimental effects to not getting adequate sleep, including our brains not being able to detoxify properly. So everything that you're learning in this episode, I take my sleep very seriously, as you probably know. And I have some habits and rituals that really help me, one of which is my magnesium latte that I drink before bed every single night. Not only is it something that I just really enjoy doing because I find it very nourishing, I really crave the flavor and the ritual of it, but it really does help me fall asleep and stay asleep. So I love the Mellow Magnesium from Ned. I have found it to be the most potent well-rounded magnesium that I have tried. And now I drink their Shaddai Chai, which is their Mellow Super Blend Latte for sleep. So it combines adaptogens, aminos, functional mushrooms, and magnesium. So really the best ingredients out there wrapped in a heavenly masala chai inspired spiced body. So think cinnamon, clove, ginger, all that good stuff. Perfect for the colder seasons, although I like to drink it in the summer too. I just drink it cold then. And it doesn't just set me up for amazing sleep. It has ingredients like chaga, reishi, and ashwagandha that are deeply nourishing to our bodies. So we are getting a ton of additional benefits. Definitely check it out. Another kind of unintended benefit that I found from drinking this nightly is that it replaced my nighttime sweet tooth. I used to always need to have dessert after dinner, which of course, if that's what you want to do, go for it. But that was really disrupting my sleep too. Even if I was just having a few pieces of chocolate, I am that sensitive. And with the shut-eye chai, I just mix it with macadamia milk. And if I want it to be a little bit sweetened, I'll add a little bit of honey, but it really doesn't need it. And that has really curbed that sweet tooth. And I think that has really also helped my sleep as well. So discover how Shut Eye Chai can revolutionize your sleep and get 15% off with the code BLONDE. Go to helloned.com slash blonde or enter the code BLONDE at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash blonde to get 15% off. Sweet dreams. I know with the new year coming up, we are all probably thinking about habits and routines, things that we want to leave behind in 2023 and things that we want to implement in 2024, but it can get a little bit overwhelming knowing where to start. And this is why I like to focus on foundational habits. And one of those foundational habits that I have been doing for years is starting my day with AG1. So I started taking AG1 I believe back in 2018, sometime around then, when I was having gut issues, I actually had a call with the company and I learned that AG1 came to fruition because the founder was having really bad gut issues and was taking hundreds of supplements and nothing was really working. So the first iteration of AG1 was really for gut health. And then since then, they've continuously refined their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. So not only does AG1 help with gut optimization, but it really supports your body's universal needs like stress management. It helps with immune support. And I know that you guys appreciate the science. So AG1 has a team of doctors and scientists. It is formulated based on the latest science and research and maintains high quality standards. In fact, it is tested for 950 contaminants. So you can feel good drinking AG1 and AG1 makes you feel good. I drink it first thing in the morning. I truly have come to crave it. Not only do I love the flavor and the taste, but I love how it makes me feel. I really get just this kind of zip of energy, even though there's no caffeine in it, and this feeling of clarity. And especially in the holiday season when we're probably kind of off of our normal routines, maybe going to events, parties, you can know that you are giving your body everything that it needs first thing or whenever you choose to drink it. And then you can go out and enjoy the holiday season. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com 
slash blonde files. That's drinkag1.com slash blonde files. Check it out. Okay, let's talk about the other piece of this exercise. Yes. So how is exercise beneficial for the brain? You talk about working out for brain health, not just for our physique and our physical health. Yeah. Like I said, is exercise beneficial for the brain? And how do different types of exercise help with brain health? So we've got two main forms that we'll talk about. We've got aerobic, which is that long, slow intensity, uh, low intensity exercise, long runs, et cetera. And then we've got resistance training. And both are beneficial and both are crucial for long-term brain health and aging. When it comes to aerobic physical activity, what we're doing is, first of all, general rule is what's good for the heart is good for the brain. Your brain is extremely vascular rich. Vascular system meaning that it's got a lot of blood vessels, arteries, and veins. They deliver oxygen and nutrients via the blood. Okay, so you've got um, just two main arteries that go into the brain and then you've got branching off of those arteries. So obviously when we are exercising, we are pumping blood okay? because our heart is going faster. Therefore, more blood is being pumped to the brain. Therefore, we're getting more oxygen and nutrients to the brain. So that's, a, that's the general rule of thumb for that area. What we also know is that we have growth factors that get released when we exercise. And we know from these, we first started out with my studies, getting them to wheel run. And this was when scientists were first figuring out the effects of exercise on brain health. And what they found was that mice and humans now who exercise for 20 minutes ongoing get a massive and rapid release of BDNF. BDNF is part of a growth factor family and it's a growth factor for the brain. And so when it gets released into the brain, it can help with the proliferation of new brain cells within the hippocampus of the brain. So you've probably heard of the hippocampus, right? Mm -hmm. It's that little seahorse-shaped structure. It's deep within the temporal lobes. This is the first thing to go and shrink in Alzheimer's disease or mild cognitive impairment. Mm. Through exercise, aerobic physical activity, we can not only grow new brain cells within the hippocampus, we can also expand and add volume. So we can grow the actual structure of the hippocampus so it doesn't shrink. Wow. Ergo, preserving memory mm -hmm. as we age. Mm -hmm. Let's move into my area of expertise, which is resistance training. Mm -hmm. There's just so much now that's coming out around resistance training for the brain. And one of the most exciting fields for me is looking at myokines, which are muscle-based proteins. Mm -hmm. And actually Ben DePeterson was one who coined that term. So myokines are these little proteins that live within the cell of the muscle and they get released upon tension. So when you, obviously when you flex your muscle during a contraction phase, that's when you will squeeze the muscle. And when you squeeze it at a specific, you know, tension, it will release all of these myokines. And we've got around a thousand of them. We've probably got more, we just haven't discovered them, but there's around a thousand of them. And we know that when they get released, they go directly into the bloodstream and they act on target organs. Hmm. So they'll go into the bloodstream and imagine it like a little Y, if you will, mm -hmm. and they go and they lodge onto its receptor, okay, mm -hmm. on a target cell. So for example, we've got receptors for these myokines on every organ in the body, spleen, prostate, heart, brain. So they go into the bloodstream then they go and find their organ and they attach to it and they have positive effects on that specific organ. There's now research that's being done, preclinical research in humans being done on prostate cancer wow. and myokines, which is incredible. They help with inflammation too, right? So we've got IL-6. It's part of the okay. interleukin family. And mm -hmm. IL-6, what we knew was that it was a pro-inflammatory cytokine, mm -hmm. right? So pro-inflammatory. So we uh, you know, for years we were like, okay, we don't, we don't want to, you know, get this huge cytokine store. So let's not release IL-6. IL-6 was always this bad guy. 
but we now know that it's also a myokine, right? Mm. So when released though, it gets released from different immunity cells, uh -huh. which makes it pro-inflammatory. Uh -huh. But when IL-6 is released from the muscle cell, it is anti-inflammatory. Wow. So it's also acting as an anti-inflammatory effect. So that's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's great. We've got another one called irisin. We've also got brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF. Mm -hmm. But irisin is a messenger molecule and it marries BDNF. So basically when that's released, it goes up to the brain and acts as a messenger and actually helps with the expression of BDNF. Wow. So yeah, there's just, there's just so, we've got cathepsin B and these are all helping with brain structure and brain function. Mm -hmm. In fact, 85% of brain gray matter can be modifiable by physical activity. Wow. So you can modify the structure of your brain and the function of your brain through exercise. Mm -hmm. And I want to differentiate. I said physical activity. Physical activity now needs to be separated in terms of definitions. Physical activity is anything where you are moving from this resting state that we're in now. Mm -hmm. To get these effects, you have to be lifting your heart rate above normal. So you can't just be gardening, mm -hmm. as I tell my mom, okay, or, or doing the clothes or doing the playing washing, golf. playing golf. You playing have husband. to be getting your heart rate mm -hmm. to like at least 70% of mm -hmm. maximum. Is there a breakdown you recommend of aerobic versus resistance per week? Yeah, I, I generally try to, you know, recommend three hours a week of aerobic. Okay. Okay. And when it comes to resistance training, rather than focusing on time, focus on looking at 80% of your one repetition max because that's where you're going to get the benefits. So mm -hmm. if you're going to the gym and you're squatting, argument's sake, let's say you can squat 100 kilos, mm -hmm. then you generally want to be working every time you go to the gym at doing 80 kilos. Okay. So 80% of your one repetition max Got it. is going to get the effects. And I have to tell you that no matter who I interview, I've interviewed on my podcast some of the best Alzheimer's disease experts and, you know, Dr. Richard Isaacson, he's a phenomenal um, Alzheimer's disease doctor. Even he says one of the best forms of medications for these patients, even in the late stages and early stages, is exercise. Hmm. Interesting. And I heard you say for stroke patients as well, right? Absolutely. My, my dad actually had a stroke in 2019. And what do we see in stroke patients? We see that they've either, you know, had some sort of embolism mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a particular um, blood vessel, uh, artery, I should say. So they've got lack of oxygen to one area of the brain. What mm -hmm. does exercise do? Mm. It improves oxygenation. It improves blood flow. Not just that. When we think about growing older, right, and we think about cardiovascular disease, many people think, okay, well, we want to have, you know, free-flowing tubes. That's what our arteries are. Just imagine this big tube and we want the we want the blood flow to be going through there freely, which means that we don't want any blockages, mm -hmm. right? We don't want it to narrow in any way. What we neglect to realize is these big arteries have muscles in their cell wall, muscles. How do, just like our, our muscles in our, you know, on our body, how do they get stronger and strengthen? Through exercise. Mm -hmm. So not only are you getting blood profusing to the brain, you're also strengthening and making those arteries even stronger so it can push more blood to the brain. Mm -hmm. I also saw that you talked about a study with, I think, resistance training, um, increasing thickness of skin. Oh, yeah. I was like, sold. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Because we, yeah. we're, again, we are turning 30, 50, 100, 1,000 years ago, we didn't have skincare products. Yeah. So I always say the best form of skincare is sun cream, mm -hmm. first and foremost, and also resistance training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. And sleep. I feel like when I sleep, when I don't sleep, I wake up and I'm like shriveled and I just look so different than I do when I'm rested. Coincidentally, sleep is also on a cycle with exercise. The more that you exercise, mm -hmm. the better you'll sleep. Right. And the better sleep that you have, 
the more motivation you have to exercise, but also the longer that you can go mm-hmm. during exercise. So it's this, we've got this cycle effect that happens there as well. I wanted to ask you about something that I heard you talk about on your social media and on your podcast, but you said that when we wake up, we are primed for fear mm. and anxiety. And I think that you said happiness is a deliberate choice in those I moments. Do. And I've never heard it put that way because, you know, we do all of these things and meditation, journaling and mindfulness and try to live really healthy, balanced lives so that, you know, we wake up like in a Disney movie with the birds flying around. And I've never heard anybody say that. I would imagine from an evolutionary standpoint, we had we woke up and we had to survive. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, we do. That's exactly right. So Think about your stress hormone. What is that? That's cortisol. Okay, cortisol evolutionarily and still today got released for one thing, to shut down everything in your body and give you the ability to focus and run away. Mm -hmm. That's what it was, right? So we were always waking up scared that a tiger is going to chase us. So we were waking up to be primed for that. So cortisol, okay? So we are not waking up these days, you know, 2023, we've got so many cortisol spikes around us. Our phone is a cortisol spike. Mm -hmm. Your brain and your body actually doesn't know the difference between going through a painful divorce or getting completely slammed by a bus. It just registers stress. Mm. It just says stress, release cortisol. It doesn't know the difference between you getting a hurtful notification or you running away from a tiger. It just Mm. says just release the cortisol, everything else will happen there. So Hmm. we are at the mercy of the environment. We're at the mercy of the television. We're at the mercy of social media. We get massive amounts of release of cortisol. Therefore, we're always stressed. We're always anxious. Mm -hmm. So we have to now deliberately wake ourselves up and focus deliberately on happiness and serenity. Hmm. One thing that we don't speak about often or on social media, is how important happiness is, okay, and also social relationships mm-hmm. on overall brain health and longevity. Mm. So I think when I when I spoke about that, it falls under that line of, Louise, if I want to have a long life and I want my brain to just, you know, I, I want to slow the progression of brain aging, you have to limit the amount of inflammation that's getting released into your brain as well. Mm. So neural inflammation is, you know, another pathological process that happens over, you know, when we age and um, it's correlated with Alzheimer's disease and other disease states. So we want to lower that. Mm-hmm. So waking up every day and just trying to deliberately make yourself happy is a good point to do, mm-hmm. is something good to be doing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that this could be a whole other episode, but to your point about this information and the inputs that we're getting constantly from whether it's TV, news, social media, I would imagine that it's affecting our like dopaminergic system as well. Affecting everything. Is that, I mean, you hear people talking about dopamine all the time and the dopamine hit from the notifications and how we're kind of addicted to that cycle. Is that valid? That's extremely valid. We get a massive uh, release of dopamine mm-hmm. uh, and, and serotonin. You know, mm-hmm. the, these hormones, uh, these neurotransmitters that get released in response to whatever it is that we're doing. If we reverse engineer that, right, I always think about, this is what I tell my clients, like what is the story that you're placing around it? Hmm. And so many people can get caught up in the story of what they've created for themselves. If they see a notification or if they see an email, at the end of the day, the email is the email, the notification is the notification. What is the story that you're placing around it that's causing you to get angry and frustrated and anxious? Hmm. Yeah, I never thought about kind of framing it like that. Yeah, so another thing to point out when it comes to sleep, right, and this, is, this all ties in, a good rule of thumb to know is that serotonin helps us fall asleep. Melatonin helps us stay asleep. Mm-hmm. So we know that these neurotransmitters are not just responsible for making us happy, making us motivated, getting towards our goals. They've got other processes in the brain too, like sleep. Mm -hmm. If we deplete an area 
let's just say we deplete uh, all of our dopamine via the phone, we will seek it out from somewhere. Mm -hmm. We will get it from somewhere else. Hmm. Or we will just keep doing what we can of what gave us that dopamine. Mm -hmm. This is why it's scary for kids to see them being so addicted to I know. TikTok or, you know, I've got three nieces and yeah. they're just on that. They're, they're message. They're in Australia. When they're messaging me, it's like 1 a.m. I'm like, why are you up? <laughs> like, I'm just on TikTok. So. Oh my gosh. That is one thing I'm grateful for is that I grew up without social media. I grew up without cell phones. I mean, yeah. I got a cell phone like in high school, but it was not an Apple phone. I'm in my late 30s. Like, what was your phone? In, oh my gosh. Phone? It was like the Nokia with the yeah. snake game. Yeah, yeah, Do you remember yeah. that? Like the thing that actually looked like a portable phone with it, the antenna yeah. thing. Yeah. I had that. I had a pager. We had pagers back in the day, everybody. Yeah. Young who's listening. I had an Ericsson. You had to like <laughs> one, two, three. Yeah. One, I two, had, three. Oh yeah. I graduated to that when I had like the the razor. I had the Nextel with the yeah. walkie-talkies, like then the sidekick. Been through all the mm. all the phases. But you know, life was different there were still problems and you know social problems and all of that but I can't imagine growing up with social media like I just cannot it's hard yeah. enough as it is as a grown-ass adult <laughs> mm, I, I completely agree not just yeah. from a psychological perspective but also physiological yeah for sure okay we have a few minutes left so I guess I wanted to ask you first what are some things that we should avoid for brain health? Obviously, probably massive amounts of time on our phone is one. Scrolling mm -hmm. late at night is another, I would imagine. Excessive chronic stress would be another. There's yeah. good stress and there's not good stress. And I'm going to say it. I, I harp on about this all the time. Unfortunately, no amount of alcohol is good for the brain. Mm -hmm. Alcohol is so, so bad for the brain. Mm. If we are consuming it in moderate amounts, which I've found out that many people are. So mm -hmm. uh, in women, a moderate drinker is seven drinks per week. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're having them all at once or seven drinks over a week period. Mm -hmm. You are killing brain cells mm. okay? and you are degrading the white matter of mm -hmm. your brain as well. So you don't want to be drinking. You mm -hmm. evidently don't want to be smoking. And you don't want to be actually nutrient deficient. Mm -hmm. So you want to be able to understand the nutrients that are good for your brain, understand what your deficiencies are, find the root cause of that and fix it. Mm -hmm. Because the moment that something becomes deficient, something else will take over mm. and then there becomes this big cascade. And then down the line, 30, 40, you're like, oh, i I had a, this or I feel this way and like something big catastrophic will happen mm -hmm. just because you didn't pick up on it in mm. your early 30s or your mid 30s. Right. Can your brain heal itself from damage from things like alcohol? I've been sober for nine and a half years oh, prior to prior to that. Yeah, <laughs> I was about seven drinks first thing in the morning. I mean, I was a round the clock drinker, almost killed me for okay. 10 years. Drugs, cocaine. I would snort anything you put in front of me. Benzos pack a day cigarette smoker, seizures all the time. Like it was gnarly. Yeah. Depending on what level that you actually damaged your brain. So for example, mm -hmm. and my dad kept asking this, you know, at, at, when you have a stroke, you're essentially just killing off brain cells in that particular area. Mm -hmm. Your brain cells will not grow back. Neurogenesis does not exist in humans, mm. only exists in the hippocampus. Oh. Okay. So, but what will happen is you'll be able to work on other areas of the brain to strengthen that. Mm -hmm. So no, if the damage is, you know, really bad, mm -hmm. you can't reverse it. Mm -hmm. However, you there is always a good time to start working on your brain health and your brain function. Mm -hmm. Well, you hear about people who maybe, I don't know, have brain tumors and they have to have parts of their brain removed and then mm. their brain is able to kind of accommodate for accommodate, that loss yeah. and function in a new way, which is really fascinating. Okay. What are the common things that all of your high performers are doing? You said that, you know, their routines don't matter so much as far as having a morning routine, a nighttime routine, but what are some universal things that they may be incorporating into their lives? From a physiological standpoint? Mm-hmm. All of them are 
getting, I was going to say they're all getting their baseline tests done. They're all exercising. But let's talk about things that are not physiological. They all have the ability to move on and move on fast from Mm. whatever stressor that they're going through. Resilience. Resiliency. Mm. They all have the ability to marry art and science. So once we figure out physiologically what's happening in a human, we can understand as well what's causing that and then we can correct that. So they're all able to manage their emotions to an extent. We've all got, you know, deficiencies, I I would say, but they've Mm -hmm. all worked on themselves to manage their emotions in some way, shape or form. Hmm. So they have a, a really innate ability to find out who they are, find out what their deficiencies are, and get about the business of working on that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's amazing. what I've noticed. That's really amazing. Well, I think what you're doing is incredible. Yeah. And um, everyone can learn more on your page, your podcasts. Yeah. There's just so much information out there, really incredible interviews and studies that you post and talk about. So tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, I hang out a lot on Instagram, which is Louisa Nicola. I have a a podcast as well, The Neuro Experience, or if they are a practitioner and they want to understand our methods, um, we've got an eight-step system where we've we've put this, implemented this system into 500 practices now around the United States. So um, they can find out more about that too. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at ariellaurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.